0: You're listening to a Rock Candy Podcast. Hi, Sacred Tension fans. My name is Matt Langston, and I play in a band called Eleventy Seven. I'm an artist, a producer, and I also host my own podcast right here on Rock Candy called Eleventy Life. We talk with the people behind your favorite songs and albums from the writers to the producers and everyone in between. And we're not asking your favorite artists the same old boring questions like, where did your band name come from? And who's your favorite friend's character? We're asking questions like, why did your marriage fail? Where does love come from? Is God real? It is a show about the importance of creativity and pursuing your passions and we don't let guests leave until it gets a little bit uncomfortable so check it out right here on rock candy and your favorite podcast app This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, welcome back to the coronavirus series of Sacred Tension. This particular episode, it might be edited or it might not. It depends how much existential dread I have this week and uh, whether I have the margin to put in the extra time and work to be, uh, you know, to edit my shows. I'm also an essential worker. (laughs) I am also an essential worker for listeners who don't know. I have talked about that some on the show. I manage a grocery store um, at a small locally owned uh, grocery store here in Appalachia in western North Carolina. And so I am constantly working with the public, with employees, and it's uh, exhausting and uh, existentially horrifying work. And uh, also important work. Please thank your grocery store cashiers. They are literally keeping you alive right now. Uh, Please thank all of the essential workers in your life because they are terrified and not getting paid enough. So... With that said, I don't know yet if this will be edited. Uh, I I might do a little bit or not at all. So if you hear my partner in the next room, if you hear my cat snoring in the corner, if uh, Megan confesses to being a serial killer on the air, I'm sorry, <laughs> that is not being edited out. Or maybe it will be. I don't know. We'll uh, see.
1: It's good radio. <laughs> I, I would keep it. It's your show, <laughs> but you do what you want.
0: Very good. All right, so first things first, my work is sponsored by the Satanic Temple TV. This is a new sponsorship. And if you are not aware of the Satanic Temple TV, you do not have to be a member of the Satanic Temple, nor do you have to be a Satanist to uh, be a member. Uh, it is a streaming platform for satanic or Satan adjacent content. So they have lots of live streams, rituals, documentaries, feature films, uh, all kinds of content in this huge growing library of video content and community going on over there. My viewers get one month free. If you use my code sacred tension, all caps, no space at checkout, you will get one month free. one month free, and I hope you take advantage of that and Finally, I have to thank my patrons. they are the lifeblood of this show i can 't do what i 'm doing without them because uh you know i 've taken a financial hit um, i'm i 'm working fewer hours with the public i 'm not teaching yoga anymore. And uh, so I'm relying more on my patrons than I ever have before. So Betsy, Caroline, Isaac, Krista, Isabel, and Krav, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. For those of you who are unable to financially support creators right now, I totally understand. It's really hard for all of us right now, and I need you to take care of yourself and your family, first and foremost. And if there are creators in your life, who are small, independent, and need your help, do please send them some of your money uh, because independent creators are really struggling right now as well. Help me reach 100 patrons. I'm currently at 75 or 76 patrons. Uh, help me get to 100. Um, that would be really, really awesome. That is my next goal. All right. And then finally, I I was listening to my intro spiel while working on a show this morning, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is long. So I'm going to try to wrap this up. Um, And finally, we are continuing to grow the Rock Candy Podcast Network. So if you have a show or you are thinking about starting one and you think you would fit with the Rock Candy vibe, you know, weird unicorn glitter degenerate monsters that we are kind of, you know, weird social justice uh, circus freaks who are really into weird sex stuff and and uh, horror and glitter and <laughs> clowns and religion, you know, all of that weirdness. Uh, please send me a message. Go to Stephen Bradford Long forward slash contact. Tell me about your show. I would love to hear your pitch and maybe you can join the network. Okay. With all of that finally out of the way, uh, I am delighted to welcome Meg- me- Megwin.
1: Jesus sure, why Christ. not?
0: <laughs> <laughs> megan goodwin professor megan goodwin to the show uh so megan hello Hi. how are you
1: i'm well thanks i mean all things considered i am and let that be enough for right now also i, I do want to get out of the way I, I am not to the best of my knowledge a serial killer i mean who can say these things but I, I don't <laughs> think the, that i am
0: to the best of your knowledge very good I am not, that's now reassuring I <laughs> All right. So tell us some about your work and what you do.
1: Yeah. Uh, Lots of things, as as my ADHD, brother and sister and gender neutral Lynn uh, can probably (laughs) associate with. Oh, 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 oh,
0: oh, oh. before beforehand. I so I totally forgot to ask and I normally ask this before we start recording. So this is very poor etiquette on my part. (laughs) Your your Pronouns. pronouns, your your pronouns are
1: she her, hers. But thank you so okay, much. Okay, got me. it.
0: Yes, of course. Okay, moving Love on. Love
1: it. Uh, okay, so I wear a couple hats. Um, only some of them are pointy. It's a witch joke. Uh, so I am <laughs> there's so many clansmen these days. I want to point out that it's it's a witchy pointiness and not like a white supremacy on purpose pointiness. Anyway, I Important
0: am... Clarification.
1: Right. I am the program director of Sacred Rights. That's W R I T E S. Which is a program funded by the Luce Foundation, uh, hosted at Northeastern University, that promotes public scholarship on religion. I am a visiting lecturer or something to that effect. They changed my title uh, at Northeastern in the philosophy and religion department. <clears throat> my most recent classes, I love my job. My most recent classes are about cults and witches, so living the dream. Mm. Um, <laughs> and my I. My favorite stuff. I, well, it's, it's funny because I went to grad school and my PhD advisor changed my my dissertation project a number of times because he kept telling me that there are no jobs for people who work on witches. And hilariously, my whole job right now is talking about witches and cults. Beautiful. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Randall. So I do the public scholarship piece. I do the teaching piece. My research is on gender, sexuality, race, politics, pop culture, and American minority religions, particularly since 1980. But I, I sometimes will go as far back as like the 60s. So
0: That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. So this is stuff that I absolutely love. And of course, I am myself a member of a minority religion. Um, I am a member of the satanic temple. I consider myself a satanist. So um, this is kind of right up my alley. I, because I'm, I'm fascinated by the experience of minority religions um, and kind of occult imagery and, and occult occultism in pop culture and, Mm -hmm. and the satanic panic and all of that stuff. I have a book you should read. (laughs) What's that?
1: I have a book you should read. I feel like. Yes. Okay. So,
0: so speaking, so speaking of which uh, your book is called abusing religion. It is Mm -hmm. coming out. I believe you said it is coming out the 17th of July.
1: It's Officially out the 17th of July. Although folks who pre-ordered already have their copies. So
0: great. Okay. So, Um, normally I read my guests books before they come on. I did not get to do that this time because it hasn't come out yet. Um, But it's called Abusing Religion. And so what's the idea behind this book?
1: Well, so the really short version is that religion doesn't cause abuse. When we're looking at sex abuse in minority religious communities, the move in popular culture is usually to say, well, look at these weirdos. They're doing religion wrong. They are using religion as an excuse to do sex wrong. So clearly they are taking advantage of our, i.e. United States, uh, religious freedom to do their weird sex stuff. And we are right to try to control religious difference because look, look what happens when we don't. So
0: Okay, yeah. interesting. So, so give me a, an, a specific example of this, of, of this dynamic that you were describing
1: well, hey, you mentioned the Satanic Panic, so let's uh, think about that one.
0: Let's just go with the Satanic Panic, 100%.
1: <laughs> so the, the book looks at three different case studies that come out of these pop nonfiction, really pulp nonfiction books that like your mom probably loved. It's stuff like Under the Banner of Heaven or Not Without My Daughter. Or in the case of the Satanic Panic, we're looking at a book called Michelle Remembers, which really kicked off the Satanic Panic in meaningful ways. Not just because the book itself imagined and popularized the idea of a global satanic conspiracy coming to take and abuse your children, but also because the authors themselves promoted the book as data. They Hmm. took these memories that a psychiatrist helped manufacture in a traumatized woman who he later married. Yeah. Yeah. And went on the road with them. So they did book promotion, but they also did seminars for law enforcement. They also did a ton of work with the American Psychiatric um, or Psychological Association, so much so that there is a diagnosis briefly in uh the DSM 3R, so I think it's 1987, that specifically ties multiple personality disorder, what we now call dissociative identity disorder, with satanic ritual abuse. MPD SRA is a, a diagnosable ailment for a hot minute in
0: the 80s yeah it's so, crazy so so this villainizing and this you know turning a minority religion a, a f- i don't know fake minority religion i well, mean that's the this,
1: thing because that's the delusion of right. re-
0: uh, yeah well yeah. it's
1: the, the satanists that they're concerned about aren't actual satanists it's not that they don't exist Right. Which gets founded in in
0: 1966.
1: It's not the Temple of Set. It's certainly not the Satanic Temple, which is much more recent, as you know. It it is a really Catholic imagining of evil that gets expressed in Satanic terms. So I have a Mm. whole big argument about the way that uh, the Satanic Panic teaches the United States to think about sex in Catholic terms, in terms of Catholic sexual morality. But the really short version is you get this narrative about us versus them— religion versus evil. And the evil here are Satanists that don't exist, but are imagined to be globally conspiring to pervert and pollute America's children. And this is happening when an unprecedented number of white women are entering the workforce. Thanks Reagan. So white women who would previously have been able to care for their own children are outsourcing that labor to poorer folks, to largely women of color. And there is a religious anxiety happening with the rise of the new Christian right. There's an economic anxiety rising with Reagan. There is an increasingly Catholic way of thinking about sexual morality with Reagan being in bed, metaphorically at least, with uh, John Paul II. It's just a perfect storm. I (laughs)
0: literally would be so much more interesting, though.
1: I know. I know. We can't always. Literally
0: in bed with John Paul II.
1: (sighs) Maybe they would both relax a little bit. It's too late now. But so we have this this imagining of a religious outsider who is using mm, the pretense of religion to abuse children. And the authors of Michelle Remembers then involve themselves in truly hundreds of cases alleging satanic ritual abuse of children in preschools, uh, sports teams, stuff like that. And then later in uh, the 1980s and into the 1990s, we start seeing... Psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers who are taking Michelle Remembers as, as a legitimate script and saying adult women uh, are adult survivors of satanic ritual abuse and, again, encouraging them to sort of manufacture these memories of having been abused in specifically ritual ways. Lots to be said there.
0: Absolutely. So, um, and, and just a quick note for my listeners who might be interested in this subject, um, it's important to remember that this is not ancient history there nope. are still people in prison yep f- from act false accusations of uh satanic ritual abuse um the 80s and 90s are not a long time ago and it's still going on you know 100%. it, it It's no, so this is no longer mainstream, you know, you, you don't, you no longer really hear about it on CNN. You know, you wouldn't, you don't turn on the news to like, to like a major news program and hear about it.
1: Unless you're watching some of the proceedings at like the white house these days. Hey, there you, yes. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Um, QAnon discourse, like it's mainstreamer than we want to think it is.
0: That's Yeah, actually that's a really good point. I mean, QAnon. Yeah. So QAnon is part of this, Mm -hmm. but um but the the satanic ritual abuse thing specifically that whole conspiracy theory is still around oh, yeah. and i still hear about it like yeah. i am i am still hearing this bullshit i have some some old friends from my old christian circle that i grew up in who are still um believers in this People are still doing what they call inner prayer, inner inner healing ministry, mm-hmm. which is a a form of Christian "quote unquote" healing for uh, satanic ritual abuse. So this still exists. I've also done several shows on this with Joseph Laycock. And oh, yeah, I know Joe. <laughs> yeah, he's great. I I love Lay. I love Joseph Laycock. Um, and with uh uh, uh, uh Gray Faction uh, from the Satanic Temple. Oh which, yeah. So yeah, this so is is there an element here? So you talked about how the mainline, quote unquote mainline religions were demonizing this deviant satanic sexual ab- abusive cult as the other, you know, and and kind of co-opting religious identity to abuse children. And that was kind of the narrative. Was there a degree of uh, misdirection in that? Because now we know that there is a gigantic sexual abuse scandal within the Catholic Church, and then and the Protestant, uh, the abuse within the Protestant Church is also coming to light. Um, a lot of these more established religions, as I understand it, have been hotbeds for religious abuse and covering up religious abuse and ironically the a lot of these were the exact same groups who were accusing you know non-existent satanists of abusing children in horrific ways is there a kind of a psychological element of misdirection in all of this
1: i yes is the short answer Okay. So, as I said, the basic argument in the book is that religion doesn't cause abuse. So, religion no more causes abuse in the Roman Catholic Church than it does in you know a, your small Wiccan community down the street.
0: Mm. The problem
1: is, is that abuse happens everywhere. Okay, And that the United States constitutionally and culturally treats religion like it's special. Mm. This doesn't mean that abuse doesn't happen in religious organizations, because obviously we know that it does, because abuse happens everywhere. What it does mean is is that religious institutions, like and unlike sports institutions or medical institutions or a number of other powerful uh, organizations that we value culturally, religious institutions very often are given special latitude to operate independently and out of the public eye. So, religion. I'm sorry. So, sex abuse doesn't happen in the Roman Catholic Church because Catholicism has something about it that makes abuse more likely. The Roman Catholic Church, however, holds a special, if not unique, position in relationship to the U.S. government. They're not Mm. held to account. They are allowed to operate without supervision, both like and unlike, say, the Michigan gymnastics team. But also, you have this rhetoric of the value of the lives of children happening at exactly the same time. And this this is my first chapter, and then I do some of this work in the conclusion as well. The real irony makes it sound trivial. It's it's a hypocrisy. The hypocrisy of formerly Bishop, then Cardinal Bernard Law being the mouthpiece of the sanctity of unborn children's lives at the very same time that we know that he is covering up massive decades of institutionalized sex abuse is just astounding. There There, there is no... Proper response except disgust and awe. So, yeah. this is this is the big question of the book. Is like what's religious about religious sex abuse? And on the one hand, nothing. Mm-hmm. Abuse happens everywhere. But on the other, you have both the specialness of religion in the United States, where you're given this latitude to operate outside governmental uh, supervision and accountability, and also the setting up of a special kind of authority so that. Mm, priests, deacons, even parents in a parish are imbued with special religious significance, it can make it harder to recognize as abuse because this person has a special relationship with God. So how could they ask me to do something that wasn't okay, right? Right. So it makes it harder to recognize. It makes it harder to prosecute. It makes it harder to hold people accountable, particularly if you're looking at an organization that operates internationally, right? We know so many priests who abuse children were first shipped out to the Southwest so that they were targeting not white children or shipped internationally so that they were beyond accountability within U S law. Mm. So just, is
0: this, sorry, go on.
1: No, no, no. It, it, there's a ton to be said here, but the short version is there's a sleight of hand that happens with American abuse, regardless where we always want to find something to blame. That isn't us. We don't want abuse to be an American right. problem. We want it to be a religious problem or a sports problem or Yeah any number of other things where we want to blame it on uh gender transition if you've been following the lavery ortberg case out of menlo church Mm. uh we want to blame it on people doing sex wrong we want to blame it on something that other than strong people take advantage of weak people and institutions value their own persistence over the lives the dignity the bodily integrity of children women on other vulnerable groups
0: Mm. So, so this is why your book is called "Abusing Religion." Then, right. So the idea being that um, abusers are in fact ab- using th- that. Okay, let me let me try to articulate this. It it is abusers ab- using religion as a mean, and the power that it is afforded in this country, the power, the privacy, all of that stuff, that special status that it has in our country to abuse the vulnerable.
1: Yes, and America uses, abuses religion so that it doesn't have to take accountability and responsibility for the persistence of abuse. Right,
0: and that is- it's a religion
1: problem, that's not us. They're not really American. And you can tell because look how they do religion. They do it wrong.
0: Right. So this is where the, like the satanic panic. So mm-hmm. it, it is condemning this this minority religion or say witchcraft. It is mm-hmm. this condemning and abusing of a minority religion, heaping all of our, you know, sexual crimes on this other so that we don't have to take responsibility as exactly. a country, exactly. as a culture. Okay. Right. That's really, yeah. really interesting.
1: I hope and, <laughs> I wrote a book, you know. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating to me. So there's something that I, one thing that I struggle with is on the one hand, I think that, uh, you know, on the one hand, I 100% agree with you that there is nothing inherent about a religion that makes it abusive because abuse is everywhere. You know, power Mm -hmm. dynamics are everywhere Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if it's in a business or in a Quaker friends gathering, (laughs) like it doesn't matter. I do, do you think that there are some specific... So, so there are two parts to this question. One, are there any specific theologies that lend themselves to enabling more abuse? And the second part of this question is, is that actually a chicken and egg question? And what I mean by that is... When I think of potential theologies that could uh, enable a culture of abuse, I immediately think of purity culture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the problem here, the the question that I have is: is that theology actually enabling the abuse, or did that theology emerge from a culture of abuse? <laughs> you know okay. what I'm saying? Does that okay. make sense? Does, does that does yeah, that question make any yeah, sense? It
1: does. So uh, several things if we're going to talk about purity culture, I have to shout out my girl Sarah Mosliner's Virgin Nations very smart book on American purity culture.
0: Oh nice. Say that say that title one more time.
1: It's called Virgin Nation.
0: Okay and and before we move on, could you quickly define purity culture for the heathens who might not know what that is
1: <laughs> Norse heathens or small age heathens anyway um, a <laughs> paganism joke there for you. Uh, They would hate that I called them pagan. Anyway, so if we're thinking about purity culture, we're thinking about a culture largely within conservative Christianity, largely within white conservative Christianity, that values the sexual, uh, well, purity, sexual inviolability of mostly young white Christian women. So young white Christian women and girls are encouraged to stay uh, intact until marriage. This leads to some really uh, interesting ritualization, like pledging your purity to your father. And you exchange, like you get a ring that kind of looks like a wedding ring. Like there's a whole thing. Purity balls,
0: purity purity balls. balls
1: So this is really, this is Sarah's area and you should 100% read her book. But the the bigger question about whether there are theologies that lend themselves to abuse is both uh, a really common question and a really Protestant question because it assumes that beliefs inform actions. And I think your point about uh, chicken and egg or religion and culture informing each other is, is really where it's at. People make religion, religion is what people do, as we say on my pa- podcast, keeping it 101 A. one introduction to religion. Uh, religion is what people do. People make religion. So we have folks everywhere throughout all time stronger folks taking advantage of weaker folks. And then also creating these systems of meaning making that explain why things are the way they are, what happens to us after we die, why certain things matter, why certain spaces or certain times or certain people are important. And they reflect those cultural values. So we see this kind of recursive effect of culture making religion, making culture, making religion. So it's authorized. My big concern is the move to go, oh, you're this religion, that's why abuse happens. And I'm specifically thinking here of the backlash that Elizabeth Smart saw when she spoke to uh, public health officials about what happened to her. So for folks who don't know, Elizabeth Smart uh, was raised in a Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a mainstream Mormon church. She was abducted by a Mormon fundamentalist couple and sexually abused for almost a year. And the mainstream media narrative, when she started talking about her experiences, always wanted to point to Mormon theology as why she didn't run away. Mm. She said, I had this purity, this sex ed, the, well, you know, abstinence only education as part of my Mormon upbringing. And it made me feel once I had been sexually assaulted that I wasn't worth anything. It made me question my worth. And her message for public health officials was, we need to teach children that they have inherent worth no matter what happens to them. And NPR and uh, ABC and a number of other, I think CNN did one of these headlines too, a number of them looked at that speech and said, LDS, abstinence-only training meant Elizabeth Smart didn't run away from her captors. That's why. Even though in that speech, she said, you don't have the right to ask anybody why they don't run away. I was afraid for my family, but also that's none of your business. It's not Mm. my fault that I was raped. The message should be A, don't rape, and B, children have worth no matter what happens to them. Mm. So the move to say religion is what happens, religion's what went wrong there, not we teach men, we teach people that women are sexual objects, they are to be desired, they are to be pursued, and that women should resist that the sexually viable, should resist that uh, assault. That is mm. rape culture, and that is the problem. Religion is not the problem, but at the same time, mm. religion can absolutely feed into and perpetuate rape culture.
0: And sure. So, yeah, this is just something that I find so fascinating. And, and I like to call the, uh, you know, you said um, just a minute ago, it's very Protestant to... Mm-hmm to say um you know oh well, how did you put it beliefs are beliefs actions are the actions. On, yeah. yes beliefs create actions and and um of course i think that we can all say well there's a degree to which that's true but i but i think that there's there's this element of well but what about material conditions
1: yes absolutely about material you, conditions Yes, what about, yeah. That's the constructive response to abuse is what are the material conditions that make abuse possible? Secrecy, patriarchy, poverty, isolation. Those are the things that make abuse possible. Those are the common factors across so much abuse, regardless of whether or not a family or community is religious. Janet Mm Bennion, who works on Mormon Fundamentalists, uh, has some really great writing on this. Uh, I think her most recent book is Polygamy in Primetime. Her suggestion is, A, we need to decriminalize polygamy, but also we really need to look at what causes abuse. And it's not religion. It's poverty and isolation and women not having access to resources. So if you're, mm. I don't know, the government of the state of Texas, and you're really concerned about preventing child abuse, what if you made it possible for women in like a minority religious community to feel safe in reaching out to the state for help rather than mm, showing up with tanks in their front yard and taking 400-plus children in the largest custodial seizure of children in American
0: history. Yes. Yeah. And, of course, you're referring to the Waco incident. No, this
1: is FLDS. So Waco uh, children died, but they were mostly not seized. Uh, But right down the street from Waco, El Dorado, Texas, 2008, the state of Texas shows up, Uh, after spending two or three years looking for an excuse to go into the yearning for Zion ranch, which is an, was an FLDS property, uh, showed up with mm, 16, 17 different law enforcement agents and took all of the women and all of the children because they were concerned about, as it turned out, a false report of sexual abuse.
0: Right. Okay. So not,
1: not one man, by the way, who we were assuming uh, were, the perpetrators were arrested or detained that day. They took all the women and all the children rather than any of the men. The whole thing's very true. Okay.
0: Okay. Let's. Okay. I'm just, I'm just processing what you just said Uh uh for a second. Okay. Okay. So they did not detain any of the men who, who were abusers. They took away the children.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And,
1: and wait, wait for it. So, This is this is the yearning for Zion case study is hard to think about because abuse did absolutely happen at yearning for Zion. Okay. full stop. At the same time, statistically, less abuse happened at yearning for Zion than you would expect in a community that large period. Yes, certain men abused women and children. That is the truth. The response to that was to violate an entire community. And to brand almost every single adult who was living at Yearning for Zion a sex offender for letting them live in the community. The hmm. the practice of Mormon fundamentalism was considered sexual abuse because the community
0: practiced polygamy. Okay, got it. Now, okay, yes, I follow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Just one of the things that I'm hearing that, that is coming to mind while I'm listening to you talk about this, and it's super fascinating and just super complicated. And, um, I, so in the atheist world, I, which I have a foot in because I am in TST and, um, TST is a non-theistic organization. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're we are simultaneously kind of part of the atheist world while also pissing off a lot of atheists because we see ourselves as as genuinely religious we we see ourselves as truly genuinely without reservation religious people
1: yeah with so a, do a lot of a, jews a, and buddhists honestly <laughs> e-
0: exactly and that and that just and and there are so many atheists who just want us to be a troll and who just want to like get on board and hey and be like yay fuck Christians and then they and then they they join or they they get involved and discover that no we're actually Satanists <laughs> <laughs> and they get really mad but so all that aside so I I do have kind of a foot in the atheist world and and one thing that does trouble me. I think the best example of of this phenomenon that I'm talking about is Sam Harris who who just has this very simple formula of people do things because they believe certain things. So it's kind of like this.
1: Such a Protestant way of thinking about people. That well, is, it, it's is very the thing that makes me insane about atheism. Not all atheism. Hashtag not all atheists. But hashtag so not much, all
0: atheists, yes. <laughs>
1: so much particularly like white atheism is informed by these intensely Christian, specifically Protestant understandings of how religion works. And all they did is throw out God. They kept everything else. It's so dumb. Well, okay. trash. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. I'm,
0: I'm getting super fucking triggered right now because <laughs> one of the things that does really annoy me about athe about American atheist culture, not atheism, because atheism is nothing more than a lack of belief in God. And that right. can mean many different things to different people. So and I
1: think you want to be really specific. that This is a white. This is a not this is a white American atheist culture ab- because atheism 100%. is 100 percent has obviously tons of adherents from tons of different races going to shout out again, Christopher Cameron's black free thinkers, because I think a lot of people assume that atheism is white because those are the loudest folks on the internet. And that is not representative of the complexity or the diversity of the movement.
0: Also, also shout out to black org. They are, they're they're great too. Um, Yeah. There is this assumption that, that atheists are just, you know, white, men with ponytails and Mm -hmm. and uh you know wearing socks with their sandals which is fine it's a statement it's a look but anyway okay all that aside (laughs) um,
1: okay okay (laughs) it
0: it drives me crazy because they think like baptists they Mm -hmm. they define god as a baptist you know nothing against my baptist friends who are listening but they define god as kind of a fundamentalist Baptist who doesn't believe in God anymore. Mm -hmm. They read scripture as a Baptist. Mm -hmm. They interpret the Bible as Baptist. They see other religions as a Baptist and it just drives me insane. Okay. But to get back to Sam Harris, he has this idea that it's like this very simple, like you're a, you're a cell phone, you're, you are, you are a smartphone and you are running a particular operating system. And And it's like you're this little gizmo. You're this you're this little computer, and you are running an operating system. And that operating system is a particular religion, particularly a particular holy book. And if you are
1: weird magical thinking about
0: books, it's weird. It's weird magical thinking, and also it's you'd think that someone who is so invested in critiquing religion. Would get this right, but but they don't, and and it's like no, religion is a living social construct. Religion exists as a fluid social construct within the lives and minds of the people who are religious. There is no true, and therefore there is no. uh, This is my personal theory. There is no true Christianity.
1: I mean, that's all true. That's. How religious studies talks about religion. Religion is what people do. So exactly. no, there is no there there. There's no this is Christian, that is not Christian. If people who call themselves Christian are calling it Christianity, then that is also what Christian Christianity. Therefore,
0: is. they are Christian. And yeah. it's Ex- it's hard, precisely. right?
1: Because it means that and I will use another North Carolina example. It means the Christianity of William Barber, right, is Christianity yep. at the same time that the Christianity the Klan is. Is exactly. exactly.
0: And that complexity
1: is what we have to live with if we are thinking about religion. Now, as, as a human being and as a scholar, I will say that the theology and praxis of Reverend William Barber is a way that I want to see the world move in a way yes. that I do not want to see white supremacy continue to influence public policy or religious spaces. And those are uh, becoming More mushed together the longer our current president is in office, uh. But we can't say William Barber is Christianity or Martin Luther King is Christianity. But those Klansmen aren't. Those Klansmen said Jesus would have been a Klansman. Like they are not not doing Christianity too. Pause. Everyone should also be reading Kelly J Baker's Gospel According to the Klan. You're welcome. Everybody gets homework.
0: That's great. I mean, you're giving me so much reading to do, and I and I I fucking love it because I (laughs) I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by this stuff. Okay, so um, at the at the very top of the show, we talked some about QAnon, but I want to frame it in in a particular way, which is minority religion, um, everything from minority religions to the satan to you know like the Satanic Temple. Are having an outsized influence on pop culture right now, in my opinion. I think the Satanic Temple is having a very outsized influence, um, you know, in comparison to its actual membership. I think.
1: I mean, there's something to be said for the amount of spectacle that goes into the the efforts, the political activism I, of the Satanic Temple.
0: Absolutely, I have to. I, I have to say, if there's one thing that we have down, it is the optics. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, but <laughs> same culture. with which same with witchcraft you yes. know i i feel like the witches are like back, riding man. high right now yep
1: yep yep. and this version of charmed is like hell yeah it is a witch hunt i'm a witch and i'm haunting you lindy west obviously <laughs> but also like you've got latina women who are the center of the charm story now like that's amazing it is, yeah. it is an, a more expansive more to my mind uh thoughtful although obviously still in progress still work to be done uh movement it's really exciting i mean as somebody is who like came up in the 90s this space between like the craft which is what we had to work with when i was a small girl in parochial school to like the kind uh-huh. of richness and just uh creativity but also real like political responsibility and thoughtfulness that i'm seeing in witches practicing right now uh and in the media about witches is really exciting
0: it's it's fantastic and you know i i think that minority religions Especially religions that have been deemed more deviant, mm-hmm. like Satanists and witches and pagans, um, n- you know, neo pagans and heathens and whatnot. We're we're kind of having a moment where mm-hmm. we're we're having we're having this this moment, and it's very political as mm-hmm. well. I mean, we're we're finding political witchcraft. I mean, religion
1: is always
0: political, but yes, absolutely, one hundred percent, yes. Uh, important clarification: it is it is more. Uh, culturally acknowledged as political, I should say.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, um,
0: that's fair. Sure, you know, like, you know, we have witches cursing Trump and we have, mm-hmm. you know, Kavanaugh, I love
1: that. I, I teach the hexing of Kavanaugh in my witches class. We talk about the groups that that's came together awesome. to do that. Yeah.
0: Okay, so, so this is kind of a segue into QAnon because um, I think that QAnon might be another minority religious movement.
1: I think you are wrong. And let me tell you why, this is tell actually, conver- <laughs> this is a conversation that I've been having on Twitter a lot.
0: Great. Uh, yes.
1: Well, so I forget, was it something like a nation or box or one of those Rana like, Oh, QAnon is a new religious movement. And yes, I,
0: I shared that article. Yeah. <laughs> yes,
1: Yes. And so I am minorly internet famous as the lady who yells when any, whenever anybody's like, <laughs> um, I'm actually cited on the the Wikipedia page for cults. <laughs> Which
0: is good so job
1: nonsense. I still don't know who did that. It was funny because somebody somebody wrote it down as, you know, Professor Megan Goodwin says people say cults when they mean or the layman says uh people say cults when they mean religion. I don't like. And I, I was like jokingly bitching on Twitter that I was like, I, I did say that part, but you know I would never say layman. And somebody went back and changed it to layperson. person. I love the internet sometimes. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Here's how you're wrong about QAnon. QAnon is disturbingly mainstream. It is weird as fuck. I'm not denying that. But yes. I think the danger in saying this is a new religious movement, particularly in mainstream media outlets, is that it does that same uh, not blaming ourselves for QAnon that we like to do with abuse, right? We like to say, "Oh, weirdo religion is causing abuse," or these freaks who spend too much time on the internet are, are this this new religious manifestation. When in fact, QAnon, uh, honestly, is the logical absurd conclusion of the new Christian right. Like this is all coming out of very mainstream, very politically motivated religious thinking that, weirdly, in the 21st century doesn't think of itself as religious anymore, but is very comfortable saying, well, you know what, Judaism is definitely disgusting and Islam is definitely disgusting. We might not be one religion anymore. We might not say, oh, well, we're all white Christians like the Klan did, but we're still really sure what religion should look like and we're really sure it shouldn't look like Judaism or Islam.
0: So, okay, so what I'm hearing is the danger in calling uh q a new religious movement is a that that is just doing the method of otherizing one more time that we yep. have to we have to separate our you know our big good world religions um from the tiny weird deviant religions that that freak out the wasps
1: and again, not just otherizing but like Absolving ourselves of responsibility. Absolving
0: ourselves of responsibility, and then two, it is actually an offshoot of main. It is a it is the ne- inevitable result of mainline religion of yeah. a particular mainline religion, and so it is okay. That makes a lot of sense. So it isn't a new religious movement. It is just
1: Christian fundamentalism. <laughs> right. It's what happens when Christian fundamentalism gains the kind of cultural and political momentum that we've seen again and again. Specifically, white conservative small c christian because not all of the folks that are involved maybe not even most of the folks who are involved in these kind of movements would identify as christian but it is a very small c cultural christian understanding of how religion and politics should operate
0: I that's mean, really really interesting
1: thank you i mean it's tricky right because no new religious movement springs from nowhere all of them build from some place right right at the same time the move to look at something like qAnon and call it a new religious movement, or we see the language of cult specifically. Again, this is where I yell on the internet. That language does specific, again, very political things. And it's not just, look at the weirdos. It's, A, they're dangerous, which, to be fair, a QAnon adherent did shoot up a pizza place in D.C., specifically because he was convinced that Satanists were trafficking children through the basement. Call back to Satanic Panic. This is actually where the chapter ends. But also... Using the language of cult makes it sound as though people have been brainwashed, right? That people are not responsible for the choices that they're making. We shouldn't have to hold people accountable for the choices that they're making or the media that they're consuming. And uh, perpetuating this language of like some religions are okay and some religions are not. Some religions are real religions and other religions are cults. That cult language gets deployed against the folks at uh, Waco, against the folks at Yearning for Zion. Hmm it justifies, it makes them legitimate targets of state violence and surveillance. And that doesn't just get limited to new religious movements, because we see a lot of the same rhetoric and a lot of the same tactics being deployed against different branches of Islam in the United States.
0: Yeah. What do you, and by the way, just to clarify, I didn't, I I don't couch, you know, the QAnon question in regards to, um, you know, in, in having any kind of solidarity with Satanists and witches oh. at all, just, just to clarify. I like, to say
1: that. That's good. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes. I should say that. Like like it was just to this observation that, yeah. um, th- there seems to be this trend that the previously weird and deviant is now mainstream and one for sure weird and, deviant thing that is actually destructive and unhealthy is QAnon (laughs) that's that's what I was saying yeah very much so so um oh goodness what 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 was I just going to say where did it go it I and it was such a great question too um best question I
1: just
0: (laughs) okay so basically what I'm hearing you say is oh 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 oh, here was here was the question um I have started just cutting the word cult from my vocabulary.
1: Thank you. Thank you so
0: much. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask. I was going to ask, what do you think of the word cult? Because I don't like it. I feel like it's just a weaponized term.
1: It is a weaponized term. It's a politically charged term. It is a term. We just actually did an episode on the term cult. So if people are really interested in what I think, I yelled for a solid 45 minutes about this. I'm keeping it 101 on our Smart Girl Summer Cults podcast but the short version is that the the short version is that words do things right mm. words make the worlds that we live in the yes. word cult even if what you mean is a very specific very academic tiny little thing it doesn't matter because the word does more than you mean it to and mm. what the word cult does out in the world is do things like justify state violence, justify state surveillance, justify the thinking that uh, some religions are too dangerous to be allowed, that uh, folks who do religion differently are stupid or are being forced to do it, which is why we have to rescue them with tanks, right? It does more than it says, and the work that it does, whether we mean it to or not, is mostly bad and has a long history of being weaponized against women, against people of color particularly black people in the united states against poor people we in a again usually unrealized very kind of mainstream protestant way are deeply suspicious of things like enthusiasm and excitement and bodies and just ecstasy right all of those things that like those of us who get into minority religions are looking for yeah and the criticisms of those minority religions are things like you're out of control you're too much you're too loud, you are in my door all the time, Jehovah's Witnesses, who really have done some important work in front of the Supreme Court in terms of the space that minority religions can take up. Mm. All of it is criticisms of, you're too much, calm down, why can't you be civil, why can't you be nice, why can't you be more like your nice, white, quiet, private, Christian neighbors, right? Mm. And the thing is, is the folks that tend to be religious in the United States, and particularly folks who tend to be involved in minority religions, tend to Uh, be women, be people of color. Uh, Queer people. Queer people, absolutely. Folks that are looking for different ways of making meaning in the world. And an idea about religion that says some religions are okay and some are ridiculous and dangerous just reinforces this idea that like someone who's not in a minority religion gets to decide how you do religion, how you get to make meaning in the world, how you find community, how you value time and space. And we frankly, we shouldn't give any culture that power so yeah doesn't
0: it doesn't it also yeah it it totally is and and doesn't i see this as being connected to that concept that we were discussing earlier you know the sam harris model of religion Mm -hmm. as there is this immutable program that people are running and um and what concerns me about that is and and also what we were just discussing in regards to cults is it it prevents growth Mm -hmm. it it prevents evolution, and mm-hmm. you know sometimes there are specific pockets of specific religions that might be more toxic than others. Yeah,
1: people you know? are shitty to each other. People are shitty Pe- to each other everywhere, everywhere, and especially in places where they are not being seen by other folks who think differently.
0: And, right. And so what like, really concerns it me, yeah, 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 it
1: happens in isolation, but. black women are taken advantage of in a number of social systems that don't also think that Jim Jones might or might not be God. Right.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. And and what really worries me is when, say, atheists come along and say, well, this is just the way Islam is, period, full stop. We just need to demolish it. I'm like or towards Christianity, like, oh, this is or even worse, this is just the way all religion, period, is. You just need to burn it all down. The, my, my issue with that is that there are going to be deeply, deeply religious people like myself who will then feel trapped, who will be unable to, to grow, who will be unable to, to um, progress in any way.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also a massively narcissistic and again, I'm going to say it: white supremacist understanding of religion. I did call White uh, Sam Harris a white supremacist, and I will stand by that.
0: I mean, I he's, yeah, he's not
1: sneaky about it. But he had he
0: he had fucking Charles Murray on yeah, his no, show yeah, to defend yeah, started, the bell curve. Yeah. The man, the the man is a defender of white nationalism. one hundred percent.
1: Fuck that dude. But over and above that, it also ignores the amazing creativity and life-giving constructive work that can happen in religious spaces, not yes. only in new religious spaces, but absolutely within new religious spaces. And I'm thinking here specifically of the work that Judith Weisenfeld does in New World of Common, where she looks at the way that black religious innovation helps black Americans reimagine yes. the past outside slavery, reimagine a future, outside racism and oppression. And that becomes possible through religion. Religion is a tool. It doesn't do anything we do things with
0: it you know i and and i think that you know there because there's a little a you know atheist in my head with a ponytail and birkenstocks just (laughs) always living in my head i know that the atheist response you know the the white atheist response to that is quote you but you can have all of that without religion and i'm at the point now where i'm not actually sure
1: I mean, maybe you can and maybe you can't, but maybe, who cares? Maybe you Don't can. Don't tell black people how to do their lives it when is, they're resisting exactly. racism. Exactly. Don't tell queer people how to do their lives when they're re- resisting homophobia. Don't tell women how to do their lives when they're re- resisting sexism. And certainly 100%. do not tell black queer women how to be in the world full stop.
0: Yes, <laughs> precisely.
1: And if Audrey Lorde's going to talk about a goddess, nobody gets to tell Audrey Lorde that she doesn't talk about the goddess. Fuck entirely well,
0: off of that. And, and I'm, but also, isn't there... I mean religion is contextual it is informed by by history and material conditions and and it is a a space in which new worlds are made possible. Absolutely. And and sometimes depending on context you really can't do it without religion.
1: I I don't I I genuinely don't know. Okay. I'm not interested in doing it that with religion i think it's really interesting and important that so many folks have wanted to call that kind of world rebuilt excuse me that world reimagining or rebuilding religion Um, i'm like in a very octavia butler space right now god has changed it is you know it is our fate to leave this planet Mm. i I don't personally believe that but i do think god has changed and
0: Mm.
1: i just i don't the idea that you have to get rid of religion in order to fix people is just another way that we let people off the hook. Religion's not the problem. People mm. are the problem. People abuse I, people.
0: I love that. And, um, you know, my answer now to a lot of, you, you know, some people say, some people tell me, isn't your religion a crutch? And I'm at the point where I'm like, who cares?
1: Do those bitches wear glasses? Exactly. Like, people who, need help bodies have who, limits
0: exactly and it's like could i be happy without religion probably but i don't want to right why is that in and of itself not enough you also, know
1: sorry, satanic temple has a really fun take on religion like if you're gonna do religion by all means <laughs> have there be spectacle but also like a deep insistence on the disestablishment of religion in a uh, united states that claims to value the constitution like Go ham for that, man. Like, that's worth fighting for.
0: Go 100% for it.
1: Worth putting on yellow, black, nail polish, and maybe making a a bit of a show about it. Get people's attention. It matters.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been a really, really fun conversation and uh, maybe you can come back sometime. Um, I love
1: it. I'm around I'm not I, going anywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're we're all still in quarantine because yeah. people I need I feel the need to remind everyone we're still in a fucking apocalypse. It's still it's still a pandemic out there and uh, you still need to wear your goddamn masks. You disgusting monsters put on your face condom so you don't (laughs) give me the death dots because I'm actually having to serve you. I'm actually having to give you your food. Do you want to go hunt that shit on your own in the prairie? No, you don't. So treat your cashier with some respect and put on a fucking mask. I'm sorry. Did that all come out? No, I I think
1: that's good. I just want to offer a gentle (laughs) intervention because people people are using the language of like condoms and safe sex to talk about masks. And as a child of the 80s and 90s, this resonates with me a lot. But at the same time, um, they're about spreading disease in like a real way. It's not condoms. They're pants. You wear pants to go outside. You can put a fucking mask on your face to go outside. It keeps us healthy. There you
0: go. So if you you don't wear a mask, then you should also not wear pants. (laughs)
1: Great. (laughs) This podcast got away from us, I feel.
0: This podcast (laughs) got away from us. Okay. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and maybe we can do this again sometime. Your book is uh, Abusing Religion. It will be coming out on the 17th, and for for people who want to find you, where can they check out your work?
1: Well, I am currently relaunching my website, so that'll be up. It is, I think, MeganPGoodwin.net, but the real answer, sadly, always is Twitter, so... (laughs) I'm at mpgphd uh, on Twitter, and uh, honestly, anytime from like 10 a.m. to 2 a.m., you can find me there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. Yeah, I've been following you on Twitter for a while now. You have really, really cool stuff. Um, yeah, so hopefully we can do this again sometime. I'm going to read your book, and and maybe we can have you back on to talk about it. All right, well, that is it for this show. The music is by Eleven D Seven and the Jelly Rocks from the albums "Bang and Whimper" and "Rad Science." You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. Don't forget to check out our other shows on the Rock Candy Podcast Network, Bible Bash, Bubble and Squeak, Common Creatives, Eleven D Life. We have more coming, and as always, this show is written. Uh, what am I saying again? Oh, this show is written, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Media. Also, don't forget to go to the TV and check out their huge library of content. As always, hail Satan. We'll see you next week.